Hello, welcome to Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I help organizations rethink how they use data and new technologies in a compliant, unbiased, and inclusive way. I'm on a mission to rehumanize technology so that we can max out on all the potential benefits it brings whilst keeping people very much at the center of its oversight and success. Now, this podcast is very much centered on the human side of the equity and inclusion equation. Through guests sharing their stories of how bias has affected and continues to affect their day-to-day lives, we can get a glimpse into the beautifully complex fabric interwoven into our communities. And we can learn about some of their work in trying to address or combat the ill effects of some of those biases. I'm joined this week by Junie Baptiste Poitiviam. Junie is the founder and CEO of Propel Innovations, a boutique for UX, that's user experience, research and inclusive design, tapping into overlooked niche markets for consumer brand businesses to give them a competitive edge. Junie is a co-author of Undefeated, which is a collection of 118 stories from 90 migrant women who, against all odds, overcame the challenges and barriers of living in a foreign land, speaking a different language and being singled out for the wrong reason. It's also a celebration of their journey, their power and their contribution to a multicultural Australia. Junie is also host of her own podcast, Uncover Untapped Markets, and she's training for her third Ironman 70.3. Junie's life and experiences bring a level of perspective that gets people saying, I didn't even think about that. Junie is a Haitian origin, Canadian born black woman, global citizen with five languages at the tip of her tongue. And she has always believed that if you understand the systems in which you live in and how they dictate what you'll benefit from or miss out on, then you can design and imagine endless solutions to your wildest dreams. And wild dreams she has lived, to say the least. She's been ranked among the top 50 employees in banking throughout Canada, liaised with public relations and media in India to raise awareness for minors' working rights and micro-businesses led by women in India. She's taught English to speakers of other language in Mexico and China and co-designed health programs in remote and rural communities in Australia's Northern Territory. Now she's broken into the tech industry as a non-tech by tapping into her entrepreneurial spirit to start seeing better representation in tech and with a wild goal to remove biases in the design of products and technology. Jeannie, welcome to the podcast. Hey Darshi, thank you so much for having me. Working backwards from the company you founded and the work you do in UX design intended to capture what most people don't see in order to actually boost their reach. Talk us through your journey to realizing the talent that you had to see what the majority might not and how you brought it to life. Yeah, so... I mean, I'm, like you said in the introduction, um, I'm originally Haitian. I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. And so, you know, from a very young age, I was exposed to um, three languages from a starting point. And then in school, we had to learn Spanish. Um, I, in Quebec, which is the province I'm from, 
we have a system that after high school, you do two years of CJEP or it's like pre-university. And so I started off with international business and then failed calculus and then had to graduate with a social science. But that led me to do my um, bachelor's at Concordia University in community public affairs and public relations. That then also led me to doing an internship in India where I was helping this uh, not NGO in India to raise awareness on issues around um, minors' workers' rights, but also to level up the playing field of micro-led businesses by women in the desert in India. And through that afterwards, um, that really, just through like all of those years, um, have really exposed me to the experience of different cultures, but also how people behave and the decision-making they need to make, that they do when they, you know, are in different circumstances. And then I was working at a bank, so a lot of it has to do with dealing with consumers and building empathy and understanding what consumers' needs are and, you know, fitting that with, you know, from a business perspective, like having to sell products that could fit those consumers. Being able to then... I left Canada in 2012 and I moved to Mexico and tapped into the fact that I spoke many languages to then teach English in Mexico and in China. And then I was like, well, you know, I want to go back to doing international business in Spain and Spanish to go back to Latin America. Because, again, there was a very interesting perspective in experiencing different cultures and seeing how people behave, what the decision-making are, but also the entrepreneurial side that happens in a lot of these cultures that, you know, even the Western world can learn a lot from. And I landed in Perth, in Perth, in Australia, and thought, wow, like, I didn't expect a country like Australia to have these opportunities that, you know, didn't exist yet. Like, we do say that Australia is a bit behind from some countries. And I had the perspective, the global perspective to see that, you know what, like this is a good opportunity to start a business. But unfortunately, I ended up having the experience of becoming a migrant in Australia and having the experience of, or the, well, that lived experience of not being able to access financial services, um, not being able to access Afro-textured hair products, not being able to, you know, tap into the skills that I've got to actually, you know, bring in the perspectives the, that, I, that I've seen and that I've experienced into like a field of opportunity like Australia. And then fast forward to 2020, the pandemic happened. Everyone was like, oh my God, we've got to innovate. And I was like, yes, it's great. And then um, because I had been working in not-for-profits and events in hospitality in Australia, um, the lot of the the the, jo the last jobs that I had in the not for profit were around a lot of like design thinking, um, designing programs within remote communities in health, whether it was designing programs within organizations to be able to, you know, stay ahead of the curve in terms of innovation, and working with an IT team as well to sort of understand um, the. The disconnection, the disconnect between building a product or putting a, deploying a product 
and the effort and time and money that was spent in pretty much getting people to use the product and the friction that came with it. With all of that, I when 2020 happened, I was like, you know what, like that's a good opportunity to start Propel Innovations. It was also um, a good opportunity because I was also thinking, well, it was around the same time that I had found out about um, an AI not recognizing people with dark skin like Serena Williams, Michelle Obama, and Oprah Winfrey. And it had like a 35% error rate. And I wasn't shocked. I thought, you know, like it does, it, it would happen if people who don't look nor have had the lived experience, the cultural experience to have not, to not have access to products and services or to be the ones receiving, on the receiving end of how the world is not designed for them, I thought, well, you know, this is a good opportunity for me to, one, start my own business and be the representation that I often see is lacking, and two, um, being able to design or help businesses design products and services that truly resonate with people's current needs at the moment and that they need it most. So that's been my journey. It's often the case, isn't it, with um, particularly in that entrepreneurial journey to find that that pain point um, that you yourself have had to to live through and suffer through and find workarounds for that often make the best kind of bases for starting up a business for yourself. You've touched on a lot of things there that led to Propel Innovations, um, you, the ex- your experiences yourself as someone that was underrepresented and not always served when you needed to be uh, in your experiences in Australia. And then you mentioned that technology and this introduction of AI and starting to see how these machine learning and tools that are being developed to kind of generate decisions en masse actually could end up leaving those underrepresented people even further down the chain because it's now embedding decision making from start to finish so actually you know not even being able to recognize certain faces so you've got experience you've got this technology and then we've got this element of the user design, uh, a user experience design. For those of us who may not have a clear understanding of it, can you explain what we mean in particular by that user experience in that commercial space? Yeah, absolutely. So user experience, um, I'm. it's interesting that we're having this conversation because uh, recently I was with my mom who is 65 and she was trying to book an appointment to get a to the radiology and so you know whether it's radiology whether you're an e-commerce business right like fill in that gap but just listen to the to the the way and the story in which my mom needed to book an appointment right so that's the end goal that she wanted so from that moment on that she went on a website and couldn't find where to book uh, this appointment to then having to scroll up and down to then like finding the button that helped 
with that said, hey, book an appointment, to then being able to, to then not being able to book that appointment because um, number one, then here's another friction. Here's one friction where um, the form to fill was blank to then going back to the homepage to then being like, oh, you know what? I think I'm just going to call them to then looking for the phone number to then calling them being told you need to do it online to then going back online and trying to find the contact information and then finding the contact information, which had the email and then sending the email to tell them, by the way, I can't book an appointment online. Can you call me back? So all of these touch points are a user's experience. Did my mom end up being able to book an appointment? No, because she didn't end up, like I, like I told you, right? She ended up having to leave an email saying, hey, it's not working. Can you call me back so I can book my appointment? So user experience has everything to do with making it a lot easier for people to access your digital products and services in a faster and easier way so that consumers can meet their needs and their expectations, right? So if you're creating all of these barriers for people, then people will feel like, oh, this isn't working. This is frustrating. I can't get to what I need. So then, so, and especially when we're talking about, you know, representation and whatnot, um, I hear a lot of businesses saying, you know, oh, if it's anything that has to do with, you know, uh, niche markets, and I think there's a misconception in understanding what, like understanding niche markets, because when you overlook certain groups of people, so the example of my mom was a senior, um, people who have accessibility needs, people whose um, language isn't, whose first language isn't English. So looking at who is it that we're not, that we're, who's missing, that's, who is missing in how we design products then you can make it a lot easier for a much wider audience to then being able to access these products and services. So our point of difference is really to look at how, like, let's unlock the power of connecting with your consumer's experience through research and design and designing with your consumers. So it's first asking, like, who, first of all, who's designing the product? So who's in the room? Um, and then asking, who are we missing? So in other words, who are we overlooking? Um, and, then, and then that's when you can have a better understanding to then do the desktop research, uh, recruiting people from, from communities and interviewing remotely or in person. But then you need to assess like, what are some of the barriers to access to them? Uh, interviewing as well with care. So especially, you know, are there some triggers and directly observing like what people are doing and then listening carefully to what carefully to what they're saying and then based on all of that you gain insights that you can use to then find solutions to implement uh, bit by bit and to continuously get feedback loops so it's a lot of understanding your your consumer's experience from one end point to the other and understanding each each touch point in between the moment that they want to buy something to their end goal um, and seeing if you're meeting their expectations. Um, because when you don't do that, then you miss out on, you know, embracing that courage to engage with your consumers and ensure that no one's needs are left behind so that you can create that trust and cultivate that brand loyalty. And so for us at Propel Innovations, and again, like from 
my background as uh, someone with lived experience as well of not being able to access products, as um, someone who's seen it as well in other in globally, uh, culturally as well, and 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 from my policy background with my bachelor's and my master's in it, um, one thing that I noticed was the lack of understanding deeply and going beneath the surface of your consumers' characteristics and decision-making processes. And so we've been developing a guide that actually breaks down those characteristics of people and using that to be able to go, okay, well, you know, look at those characteristics that people feel overlooked. And from there, that's when you can draw a better perspective and remove bias into how you're going to design your product or your service with your users. Listening to that explanation, it really hits home how, just how interconnected every aspect of, you know, developing something, yeah, whether it's commercially or a public service um, is. And we so often see these things being done in such silos that you can kind of see how things sort of slip and then it ends up in this the example that you had of your your mum trying to book her her appointment and there there's this element as well of accessibility on one hand and I, and I know you can you get kind of work being done in that space particularly in that idea of inclusive technology we think about accessibility but here we're looking at something that's sort of far, far broader. And when we're thinking about it with that technology lens, AI, new technology, it's so heavily reliant on data and things are developed based on the data that we see and that we can use to train machines to start being able to make decisions and then to start developing a future state based on that historical data. And now as someone who has worked myself in the technology industry and who's like you been long been a proponent of safe and transparent AI, given the many inherent risks that can actually come from historic data, it seems that in particular in this user experience design, when we're serving underrepresented groups or trying to target areas that haven't been targeted before, we're suddenly exposed as to areas where we don't actually have the data to then feed to generate that these fresh and new perspectives and, and ways of building products. What are your views on kind of how we mitigate all the risks of AI and some of the examples that you gave about, you know, not being able to recognize Serena Williams and the like. Um, what are your views on that and how are you able to sort of push through that with Propel to start shining a light on the types of data that these organizations won't see and to get that get them from zero to oh my gosh I didn't think about that as you so do through your work can you share a bit more about that yeah absolutely look I'll give you another example so as part of our podcast uncover on tap markets 
um, when you listen to each one of their episodes, like so, so it's their it's an interview style podcast um, where we help business leaders look at you know ways that they can design inclusively and how some businesses or entrepreneurs have done it. Um, we also share the experience of consumers' struggles and how they overcome some of these challenges. So in one of the episodes, um, it's about community financing. And so when you Google, if you're listening, like you can pause and then Google or ask ChatGPT about community financing. And it's interesting to see how what comes out are things like Kickstarter, crowdfunding, so on and so forth. However, in one of the episodes from our podcast on Cover and Tap Markets, there is the founder of Chipit who pretty much looks at certain cultural ways that people who have or who are called unbanked or underbanked, who don't have access to financial services, how they use their communities to build a trusting platform to save money, to be able to pull money from that pool and use it to, you know, buy a house or um, just pretty much pay off debt and so on and so forth. So what's interesting in all of that is, and that's what you call like susu or asu or box hand, like there are different terms. And the thing is, these are not considered quote unquote mainstream, but it's also because there are things that you can't just Google search or ask ChatGPT. So you need to have people with a certain lived experience to be able to bring that. So when I was saying earlier, you know, that we've been developing this guide that breaks down people's characteristics, we did it in a way so that we go, hey, um, and, and the inspiration really came from the fact that, you know, an AI couldn't recognize um, Serena Williams, Michelle Obama, and Oprah Winfrey. It also was um, out of my experience in policy, understanding how some people benefit from things and others don't. And also from my own lived experience where I felt like, you know, yes, there's a lot of language about inclusivity and diversity, but I also was like, I feel like we need to go a bit deeper than that. Because then when I reflected on my own lived experience, I realized that there were different characteristics of my lived experience that weren't considered. And so our approach is going, okay, well, before you start designing something, let's look at those characteristics first. Let's workshop your product and look at those, char those unique characteristics and understand those unique struggles of consumers. Then let's research with those groups of people those communities, because that's how you uncover that kind of data and those insights that you can't just desktop research. Um, because you might be this, you might start doing research on desktop, tapping into the wrong market or not even tapping into any of these markets. So that's one way that we do it. Um, and by doing that, what we've also noticed is that we position businesses in a competitive way. So there was a time when I was living in the Northern Territory of Australia. So predominantly Aboriginal communities uh, and migrant uh, in certain areas of the Northern Territory. And we were um, helping this, we, we were designing the user experience of this new business that wanted to serve that community. 
And one angle that they missed out on was to understand the makeup of that community, but most importantly was to then speak to those communities. And so, and ask them carefully, you know, without like with the consideration of what some of the trigger warnings might be as to what their experience were in, in this case, it was uh, mental health service, um, how these, how their experience of mental health or accessing mental health services has been. And so through that, we unveiled and uncovered that there was uh, a question of age, mental health, ethnicity that needed to be considered to then position that business in competitive edge. And while we were bringing along this business uh, in showing them like what were the insights, and as part of that, we also had to test um, the use of, and at the time it was the website, their website, we had to test the use of that website. The fact that the business owner noticed right away how consumers were connecting with it in a way that they were like, oh my God, like, is this, is this accessible now? Because I never have been able to find a place that can give me something that I truly need. Like that's the power of unlocking your consumer's needs. And most importantly, understanding how you go beneath the surface of those characteristics. Because then one, it cuts down on a lot of decision-making time. Um, it prevents you from, you know, inappropriately serving these communities but it also gives you a growing opportunity to market better to consumers. And so that cultural nuance is what we bring as an element because we are the groups of people who are often not represented. And so, and our whole point is to be able to level up, level up that playing field for consumer brands um, to meet their consumers' unique needs, their unique struggles, their unique desires. So then they can attract more customers with a certain profile, but it also means that you're not just serving one community, you're actually serving a much wider audience. So that same example with that business, even though we, we unlocked the age factor, the mental health factor and the ethnicity factor as characteristics of people that are often overlooked and are the potential part of growth and opportunity to position this business competitively or with a competitive edge that is something that even a wider like a much bigger group of people can also access and you know you don't have to be from a certain group an ethnic group or um age group and whatnot it means that even if you're let's say a senior you can access that kind of service it means that even if you're not you're Australian um, from, you know, an English descent or Irish descent, for example, you'd be able to access that. So that's the power of being able to unlock consumers' characteristics um, with our guide beneath the surface. Yes, I I love everything about that and, and how it's just, yeah, so neatly contained in the idea of unlocking untapped markets as a business case in and of itself. One of the challenges I find in the inclusion space, I'd be really interested to know if you have any challenges in this space, is when you play out that case study and for those that are sort of open to it, I think it it all it all makes perfect sense. But when pushing that agenda to the to the broader market, 
how easy a sell is it? And I suppose, have you experienced unwarranted bias when selling those services in and of itself from those who just can't quite see it and who stick with that? Uh, I'm sure there is all kinds of markets and and ways in which we can we should be thinking about how we're doing things but we've just kind of got this model that works we listen to the data that we get fed back on on a day-to-day basis and we just don't see that need have you had those sorts of challenges and if so have you found little ways around those yeah that's such a good point (laughs) um it's 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 such a it's an it's such an irony because two things. So it's an irony, one, because when I speak with businesses or you know marketers, product owners, um, often it's well, it's not in our priority list. And the other one will be like, oh, you know, we're gonna reach that audience when we scale. And another thing is also a knowledge gap that I've noticed. So, so that's one part. Uh, the other part is, in the end, it doesn't. It's not a painkiller for them, right? It's like we're just giving them a vitamin, like, hey, this is something you can do better. So, then what I do is I bring out stats um, and the numbers, and so when I bring out stats, so facts people actually get really surprised. Um, And so by doing that, we've seen that we've been able to increase the level of awareness by 50% in terms of understanding how you can design inclusively. And so, you know, things like, and especially if you look at, I mean, the US is often the benchmark for a lot of things. So when you look at the US in terms of, um, let's say accessibility of websites, right? The U.S. has got something like a 181% rate of like getting sued, businesses getting sued for not having accessible, um, for not having accessibility as part of their websites or their products. So 181% increase. That's like really high. That's literally as if you'd be, you know, on a daily basis, you're constantly seeing like litigation after litigation yeah. after litigation. <laughs> um, in Canada... Another part of the world that we use as a benchmark is that you get fined for it. Um, And so, and in Australia, Coles, which is a grocery store for those who don't know, um, got sued, although it was back in 2015, but it still gives a good indication of where we're heading. Coles got sued for not allowing someone to use a screen reader to shop online. Again, shopping online for your food is a basic need. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting to hear businesses, one, not knowing. Two, if they hear it, they're like, well, it's not our priority yet. And then three, saying, oh, you know, when we scale. So it's, but at the same time, when I hear that and I throw all of these stats, um, you know, I've had a lot of them be like, oh, you've, narrowed down the knowledge gap you've narrowed the knowledge gap for me (laughs) and um and then others you know they just go well you know we we do like the bare minimum so it's 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 
it's a it's quite I would say it's quite complex because at the same time I feel from the conversations that I've had with businesses are not necessarily I guess they just not, not they're not necessarily knowledgeable it's an awareness right so it's a lot of education it's a lot of sharing insights and whatnot so even you know another insight that I had given was again in Australia I was saying that the that the makeup of Australians right like if I had to ask you um how many countries uh represent Australia how many spoken languages in the homes represent Australia and how many religions are shared in Australia like rough number right how much would you, what, what what would you say are you asking me you know I know it's I remember I, I, I don't ask me for the stats straight off the top of my head but I know it's a lot more than you think from the latest census from from a couple of years or a few years ago tell us because I know I think Australia is a really good example of that yeah so Australians come from 200 countries speak 300 languages in their homes and share over 100 religions. So, and that's just Australia. So then it tells you that there's a makeup of this country that is untapped. You could use that same thing if I gave you in Canada that one in five people are people of color. If I say in the US, you know, in like what, 15 years? Yeah, about 15 years like 45%, like almost 50% of the population will be Black, Hispanic, Asian, um, and, and biracial and multiracial. So, so that's why um, I think it's just, there's, there's this huge gap. And so for us, we're finding that a lot of the time that we're doing is, is narrowing that knowledge gap, is increasing that level of awareness. And so workshops are the way that to go to be able to highlight those insights and then being able to show how some businesses have done it through our podcast. Yeah, I think uh, I hear you on that. It really is about closing that knowledge gap and, and hoping that we can gather enough people to sort of chip away from all the different angles of people doing this sort of work um, to to get a bit closer to where we need to be. Round, starting to round things off, Junie, that we have to leave on a more positive note. Um, as we as we do navigate this time, acknowledging, you know, the pace at which technology is developing and that need for sort of no community to get left behind, as clunky as it may be right now, are there particular tides of change that you are finding helpful to to propel for want of a better but no less cringeworthy pun um to propel you and the organization forward are there things that we should continue to be doing more of in your view that would start to help that chipping away process and become a lever that you can then pull for more momentum yeah absolutely um speak to your consumers right The same way I use, I, I love using the example of traveling. Everyone, at least most people, love traveling, right? When you want to travel, you get excited because, well, you're taking a break from your usual life. You're wanting to explore, see something different, taste something different, hear different languages, right? It's that same curiosity, that same 
like willingness to be exposed to different places and people, that's the same mindset that you can have when you're also developing products and services, right? Does like even especially when you're, let's say, a CEO or a chief marketing officer or chief digital inclusion person um, in, in that kind of role, because you'll notice how much you can remove your blind spots and go, okay, let's actually explore. Let's travel into these communities. Let's see what is it that people care about. Because the closer and the more connected you are with your consumers, the more likely they're going to stick around with you. And, you know, I mentioned stats, uh, facts. You know, there is a rise of consumers who really care about feeling welcomed, represented, seen, valued in brands. And it's at like 67%. So it's a huge number. Um, you know, there are also a lot of them, a lot of consumers, let's say in Australia, who like 47% of them say that they want to switch. They, they're more likely to switch brands if they feel that they're not included or the business does not have inclusive values, that they're going to go for another brand. So rather than, and I know it can be scary to, you know, not do the right thing or whatnot, just invite, like be, be have the courage, embrace that courage and say, hey, like we want to engage with you but we want to do it the right way. So why don't we just come together and see how we can build products and services and create a brand that you can trust and that cultivate, and then this way it cultivates, it cultivates also brand loyalty. So think of it as traveling. Like, I think that's like the most positive thing I can think of. Like everyone just has this really cool hype and, you know, all of your senses are being, heightened and you're much more open to it so think of it as if you're traveling i love that Jeannie. it's been an absolute privilege to shine a light on what is out there to help businesses move forward in a really future focused way um, thank you for sharing your story on unbiased and i'm sure our paths will continue to cross and um, I'll share all the details about where to find you and more about Propel uh, with these show notes. So keep doing your thing, Junie. Thank you. Thank you, Darshi, for having me and um, yeah, for this great podcast, this great platform for us and for you as well to shine a light on businesses like mine. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbiased with me, Darshi Harindra. I derive so much energy and learn so much from speaking to such inspiring guests and amplifying diverse voices. If you feel the same way, please do subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you consume your content from and follow me and the podcast so you can get all the latest episodes as they drop. I'd also love to hear from you. What works for you? What do you like to hear more of? You can connect with me via my website, darshiharindra.com. Until next time, stay open, 